The giant saucer-shape plunged out of the clouds, tumbled, and pushing the water before it, opened up a hole in the ocean and disappeared from view. It was incredible. This time I had seen it with my naked eyes, and its size in comparison with the total view was nothing short of astounding. Ensign Ball stood in shock, his binoculars in his hands, his mouth open. Geronimo yelled, holy shit, what the, hey, did you guys see that? A sign ball turned and looking right at me with the most incredible look on his face, said in a low voice, this had to happen on my watch. He turned, quickly pressing the override on the one MC and yelled, captain to the bridge, captain to the bridge. As an afterthought, he pressed the switch again and yelled, somebody get a camera up here. The captain surged up the ladder with the quartermaster on his heels. Chief Quartermaster Quintero had the ship's 35mm camera slung around his neck. The captain stood patiently while a sign ball tried to describe what he had seen. He glanced at us and we both nodded in affirmation. That was enough for the captain. He called Sonar, who during the excitement had reported contact underwater at the same bearing. The captain announced into the 1MC, This is the captain. I have the con. The reply came back instantly from the helm. Aye, aye, sir. I knew that the helmsman was passing the word in the control room that the captain had personally taken control of the boat. I also knew that rumors were probably flying through the vessel. The captain called down and ordered someone to closely monitor the radar. His command was instantly acknowledged. As the five of us stood gazing out over the sea, the same ship, or one exactly like it, rose slowly, turned in the air, tilted at an angle, and then vanished. I saw the chief snapping pictures out of the corner of my eye. This time I had three images from which to draw conclusions. It was a metal machine, of that there was no doubt whatsoever. It was intelligently controlled, of that I was equally sure. It was a dull color, kind of like pewter. There were no lights, there was no glow. I thought I had seen a row of what looked like portholes but could not be certain. Radar reported contact of the same bearing and gave us a range of three nautical miles. The range was right on as the craft had moved toward the general direction that we were headed. We watched repeatedly as the strange craft re-entered the water and then subsequently rose into the clouds over and over again until finally we knew that it was gone for good. The episode lasted about 10 minutes. Before leaving the bridge, the captain took the camera from the chief and instructed each of us not to talk to anyone about what we had seen. He told us the incident was classified and we were not to discuss it, not even amongst ourselves. We acknowledged his order. The captain and the chief left the bridge. Ensign Ball stepped to one MC and then pressing the override switch announced, This is Ensign Ball. The captain has left the bridge. I have the con. The reply, aye aye sir, quickly followed. Those of who had witnessed the UFO were not allowed to go ashore after we have birthed in Pearl. Even those of us who didn't have the duty, we were told to stay aboard. After about two hours, a commander from the Office of Naval Intelligence boarded. He went directly to the captain's stateroom. It wasn't long before we were called to wait in the passageway outside the captain's door. Ensign Ball was called first. After about 10 minutes, he came out and went into the wardroom. He looked shaken. I was next. 
When I entered the stateroom, the commander was holding my service record in his hands. He wanted to know why I had gone from the Air Force into the Navy. I told him the whole story and he laughed, and when I said that, after putting off the Navy for fear of chronic seasickness, I haven't been seasick yet. Suddenly a mask dropped over his face, and looking me directly in the eyes, he asked, What did you see out here? I believe it was a flying saucer, sir, I answered. The man began to visibly shake and he screamed obscenities at me. He threatened to put me in the brig for the rest of my life. I thought he wasn't going to stop yelling, but as suddenly as he began, he stopped. I was confused. I had answered his question truthfully, yet I was threatened with prison. I was not afraid, but I was not very confident either. I figured I had better take another tack. Eighteen years with my father and four years in the Air Force had really taught me something. Number one was that the officers just do not lose control like that, ever. Number two was that if my answer had elicited that explosion, then the next thing out of my mouth had better be something entirely different. Number three was that his response had been an act of kindness to get me to arrive at exactly that conclusion. Let's start all over again, he said. What did you see out there? Nothing, sir, I answered. I didn't see a damn thing, and I'd like to get out of here just as soon as possible. A smile spread over his face, and the captain looked relieved. Are you sure, Cooper, he asked. Yes, sir, I replied. I'm sure. You're a good sailor, Cooper, he said. The Navy needs men like you. You'll go far with the Navy. He then asked me to read several pieces of paper that all said the same thing, only with different words. I read that if I ever talked about what I didn't see, I could be fined up to $10,000 and imprisoned for up to 10 years or both. In addition, I could lose all pay and allowances due to ever become due. He asked me to sign a piece of paper stating that I understood the laws and regulations that I had just read governing the safeguard of classified information relating to the national security. By signing, I agreed to never communicate in any manner any information regarding the incident with anyone i was dismissed and boy was i glad to get out of there not long after the incident i devolunteered from some marines i was transferred to the uss tombaji <clears throat> the tombaji was a gasoline tanker it was more dangerous than the sub the captain was crazy and the crew was a combination of idiots and misfits i once had to draw my pistol while i was petty officer off the watch to prevent an officer from being attacked by seaman. The Tombaji collided in the dead of the night with a destroyer in the Molokai Channel, and several men died when the destroyer was cut in half. Every day aboard that ship was exactly like a scene right out of Mr. Roberts. I struck for quartermaster and managed to advance to the rank of second-class petty officer, despite the obvious obstacles. I made two Westpac tours aboard the Tombaji. They included a total of 12 months off the coast of Vietnam. We came under machine gun fire while anchored off Chu Lai. We had to do an emergency breakaway and leave the harbor. All we needed was one tracer round in one of the tanks and kaboom. It would have been all over. The Viet Cong gunner probably got busted because the stupid jerk missed the whole damn ship. How can you miss a whole ship? The only other time I felt threatened was when we got up to a small outpost at the DMZ called Cuvet. It was a vision right out of hell. Cuvet sat on the southern bank in, at the river of the Thank Hain River. We rode at anchor and pumped fuel ashore through a bottom ley line. Every night we could see the tracers from fire 
fights raging up and down the river and along the DMZ. It was a real hot spot. Every once in a while, Viet Cong or NVA rockets would slam into the camp. We would perform an emergency breakaway and put to see all that all was clear was sounded. Everything was cool until our wacko captain decided we were going in the river mouth. Did you ever try to put a pencil through the eye of a needle? That's about comparable to what we did. I'll never know how we got that big ship through the narrow mouth of that river with no navigational references whatsoever. We dropped anchor mid-channel, and the captain backed the ship right up to the bench and dropped the stern anchor into the sand. There we sat, a great big target full of gasoline. We were helpless in the mouth of a narrow river, with three anchors out right in the middle of one of the hottest combat zones in Vietnam. That night, several men in the crew wrote letters to the chief of naval operations requesting an immediate transfer. No one slept. I don't know why the enemy didn't send in the rockets, but they didn't. I knew that the God, I knew then that God must keep a special watch over fools. The next day, we sent to sea and started for Pearl. The captain was relieved for incompetence later that year. Then I was transferred to school. I didn't know what school I had drawn. It turned out to be the Naval Security and Intelligence School for Internal Security Specialists. The general training prepared me to set up security perimeters, secure installations and buildings, and safeguard classified information. My training included special weapons, booby trap identification, and disarming, the detection of bugs, phone taps, transmitters, and many other subjects. I was specifically trained to prepare and conduct Pacific Area Intelligence Briefings. From the day I reported to school in 1968 until I left the Navy, I worked off and on for Naval Security and Intelligence. Upon graduating, I was transferred to Vietnam.